0: Welcome to the fifth episode of the official As Began podcast, hosted by Dr. Alex Nicely.
1: Selma, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. I tell everyone at the beginning of these podcasts that we have a special treat for them, and of course with every, <laughs> with every podcast we do, but today's guest is perhaps even a bit more special, because I worked alongside her at King's College Hospital for something like 10 years. Mariana Samin, and Mariana Samin is a hepatologist there, pediatric hepatologist, of course. And she's made her name, really, in my opinion, in teaching adult hepatologists how to take care of pediatric disease as the people who have those diseases transition into an age bracket where it's just not appropriate for them to be cared for by those who have been caring for them in the past. However, that is not what we're going to talk with her about today. Today's topic is the new wave, is it a ripple, is it a wave, she'll tell us, of presumably viral hepatitis that has gained so much press attention and with which she's become familiar, working as she does at King's, which, of course, as a tertiary, quaternary referral center, has seen a good number of the cases from Great Britain. Marianne, lovely to have you here.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Let me say, first of all, that I've only seen one of these cases working as a hepatic histopathologist in Graz, only one. And I'm not sure that it was anything different from something that we've seen under a different name. That would be the name of non-A through non-E hepatitis, which sometimes leaves the liver devastated and requires a liver transplant. Other times, uh, (laughs) the child just gets better, although maybe with a scarred liver. We've been hearing a lot about implicating adenovirus and ad- and implicating COVID nineteen in what seems to be an upsurge in cases of this disorder. What's your feeling about the incidence of non A non E hepatitis in the past and now?
0: And that's a, a very good question. And 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 I'm sorry, I I will have not been it won't be able to um, answer that very accurately um and that is probably one of the 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 topics to kind of discuss um in more detail um we are very familiar as hepatologists and also pediatric gastroenterologists with the with the concept of children presenting with acute hepatitis where they have a significant rise in their liver enzymes and can become rapidly unwell and we also know that the children who present with acute liver failure, when we look at their kind of um, background is that about half of the children will have this condition as we describe non A to E um, hepatitis, which actually means that we've excluded the typical viral hepatitis, viruses that that can cause hepatitis, and haven't really been able to establish. I must say that in the course of the last several years is that we do see several cases that present to our centre and and I think to other centres as well with non-A2E hepatitis and some of these children go on become unwell and need a liver transplant and we have previously identified adenovirus as a a virus that has kind of contributed to um, this hepatitis Um, Having said that, what changed um, in April of this year is that there was a significant higher kind of amount or or kind of more children presenting with acute hepatitis and when further investigated adenovirus did come up as kind of be more present um, when um, examined um, further.
1: It's not a different kind of adenovirus or the same kind of adenovirus. I I must confess that the idea that adenovirus is implicated in non-A, non-E hepatitis is and has been a new idea for me. I've seen adenovirus take out a liver in an immunosuppressed patient, for sure, but not act as a trigger for a largely T-cell-mediated acute inflammatory hepatitis. I'm still getting. I'm still having a hard time getting my head around how adenovirus is starting to do this when it, to my knowledge, it hasn't done it before.
0: Well, that's not been our experience. And, and we actually have been looking back at, at some of the children that came with acute liver failure for transplantation over the last few years. Um, and there were definitely a group of patients where we found adenovirus um, positivity that means that the virus was present at the time of the patient presenting I think what's not entirely clear and that's that's a kind of the fascinating thing if you want or the unknown thing about um, acute hepatitis is that we don't exactly know especially in this non-A2E group what kind of causes the acute inflammation and destruction of of the liver cells and the question is whether there is a, a virus that just triggers the immune system and then it's an reaction of the immune system to the liver that causes the problem rather than the virus itself and i think
1: Uh, sorry about that keep going please
0: no and i and i think that's one of the hypotheses that kind of are around the adenovirus which to be fair it's kind of been found in at least two-thirds of of the cases or more um, when looked for and again it's it's not that easy to kind of find the adenovirus if that makes sense if you look for it in the stools and in the respiratory tract where it can um, present and a typical adenovirus infection does present often with diarrhea and vomiting and, and respiratory symptoms but when we look at those samples we haven't really been able to find the adenovirus, whereas when checking it in blood, um, we have kind of found this prevalence of about two thirds, up to 70% of of the patients being adenovirus positive.
1: That helps me understand a little better, well, the the, the old parable of the blind men and the elephant. I've just been patting down one leg of the elephant and concluding that the elephant is very like a tree. I've been looking at explanted or biopsied livers, and I haven't seen adenovirus inclusions. I haven't seen adenovirus antigens, which makes me think that the idea of adenovirus as a trigger for something else is plausible. Now we have the question of a child comes in with non-A, non-B, non-CDE hepatitis, and what are the elements along which you're going to weave your net to look for adenovirus thoroughly completely blood testing nasal swab stool what else what means what do you see as a thoroughly worked up adenovirus candidate patient
0: It is important to kind of go back a step, I think. And when these children present to us with acute hepatitis, which kind of potentially can progress to acute liver failure, there's two things that are really important. It's actually making sure that the child is extensively investigated, not only for viral causes of the hepatitis, um, including adenovirus, but other viruses like enterovirus, RSV virus, um, but also to make sure that we don't miss, and other underlying liver disease which has presented as an acute hepatitis and there are certain conditions like acute liver uh, autoimmune liver disease typically when they present in younger children but also rarer conditions like mitochondrial disease or other um toxic toxic related liver diseases that can present um, in a similar way so i think one of the important messages is that if you have a child with acute hepatitis you need to understand how sick the child is at the time of presentation and how sick the child might become Um, So that it's really relevant to inform uh, specialized services or kind of discuss the patients with the specialized service. And on the other hand, do a full workup. With regards to the virology, we've learned that it's important not only to look at the typical areas where we do look for virology like nasal swabs, throat swabs, uh, urine and stool. And in particularly for the adenovirus, what we found is that um, the detection of the adenovirus has been kind of significantly better when you look on whole blood, lo- rather than just peripheral blood, or um, the, the other areas like stools, urine, or um, respiratory um, secretions.
1: So not serum for adenovirus, not plasma but actual whole blood.
0: Yes. Is, that's... is
1: is adenovirus hiding out inside leukocytes now?
0: That's a question that is is really tricky for me to answer because I'm I'm in that respect I'm I'm not um I'm not an expert in that field, but uh that is definitely the the information we kind of seen from the from the UK data when they um when they looked for the um, the presence of of the virus um there was a kind of a a significantly difference um and with whole blood having um a a kind of a significantly larger uh, detection rate of the adenovirus
1: i'd love to know if they compared whole blood versus serum or compared whole blood with serum in individual patients because the idea that in order to find adenovirus you have to squeeze cells and look at the juice using a PCR machine is again new to me i am learning a lot here <laughs> <laughs> here we go now now the question so you've got your patient and now you've got your PCR results back you know that the, you can't find any of the usual suspects um is it time for the liver biopsy
0: That's a good question. Um, Our concern often with children presenting with acute hepatitis, and that's in general, is that the yield of getting a lot of diagnostic information from a liver biopsy um, is, is kind of small um oh, if that oh, if that, that makes back. sense in,
1: that
0: okay. in the acute setting and i think our main concern is that these children often for the definition of acute hepatitis um often their clotting becomes abnormal um, and these children can as we know rapidly progress to acute liver failure um, and so the risk of having complications from the liver biopsy are kind of significantly higher than um, us getting a very useful information from the liver biopsy um, and that's data. I think that kind of is, it, it is probably, there is a space to do a biopsy in children who have a milder form of hepatitis and don't have an abnormal clotting profile um, and the child is, is, is stable and the causes are known, then a liver biopsy would definitely be recommended. Um, but in general, in children presenting with acute hepatitis with the possibility of deteriorating rapidly, um, we we wouldn't advocate to do um, a liver biopsy in in, in all these patients, and, and and definitely they should be referred to um, a specialized um, liver center.
1: I think that goes with uh, the last part goes without saying. The first part about the liver biopsy not being helpful. We're going to have to talk, Marianne. We really are going to have to talk. (laughs) But I I take your point. This came up not too long ago in Graz, when a liver biopsy was obtained in a patient with acute hepatitis in whom this new non-A, non-E hepatitis was strongly suspected. The original testing PCR of this, that, and the other had not returned any adenovirus, but you never know, it could still be there. And the child had had a bout of COVID in February. So who knows? At any rate, the persons attending that child waited until I had looked at the liver biopsy specimen and had said, this is not Wilson disease, this is not a recognizable viral disease, and waited until then to start administering steroids. And when they gave steroids, oh, by the way, I should point out that that liver was full of killer T-cells, absolutely full. So steroids went in, the child improved dramatically within a few few hours even, and non-A, non-E hepatitis, but giving steroids did not worsen the condition at least, which was a fear before the liver biopsy specimen was obtained. If you did, if you did perform a liver biopsy, then with all the other answers already in hand from PCR and whatnot, would you start to give steroids right away or would you wait until the histopathologist had had a think?
0: It's a good question. And again, I won't have a a straight answer um, for you on, on this. We know that in some centers, They believe in using um, steroids for treatment of acute hepatitis. Um, again in specific cases um, kind of having excluded all possible um, etiologies um, uh, they do it even without having kind of histological support to do it if anything but um, again that that's not really standard practice and I think uh, Alex Ward is again probably one of the important messages of 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 this talk is that we don't really have the data and if anything can come out of it and we are able to routinely kind of um Collect data on the prevalence of this acute hepatitis in the younger children, in particular, which seems to affect this this group. But majority of the of the children are under the age of five, and we we will have an idea of how prevalent it is because not all these patients actually go to sp- specialist services because if they have a mild disease and they recover um they might have contacted a a specialist center but they might not have to be transferred to them so we really need to put in a lot of effort to have an idea how prevalent this acute hepatitis is what the pattern of it is how many children spontaneously recover and then have an idea of of is there any value in in using certain treatments Um, but at the moment there is no kind of scientific data or support to actually um, support this kind of routine standard management in these patients.
1: Good enough. So, Espigan, it's time for Espigan to step forward, isn't it? And to yes. say, when you have such a patient, this is what you must do in order to make a contribution to medical knowledge. And as well, to ensure that your patient is treated according to the best possible information on hand. You got something in the pipeline?
0: Yes, I think that that is really important. And I think over the last few years, we actually have seen this really um, fruitful and and really good collaboration um, within Europe, um, despite the UK. Leaving uh, oh, Europe uh, <laughs> with Brexit, or not talking about Brexit, but but I think again on this occasion in um, the Hepatology committee, and and that's mainly on the leader of of Giuseppe Indolfi, um, who is the chair at the moment, but also co- collaboration with the ERN um, with the. Um, the European Reference Network for um, Rare Diseases. Uh, there has been these initiatives to kind of send out questionnaires, and again, what is really important to reach the biggest possible kind of audience is actually to collaborate together and not everybody doing their own thing within a country or within a kind of a, an organization, but kind of just expanding. And there's been a lot of collaboration also with with um, organizations that have kind of are particularly interested in infectious diseases, and, and we very much welcome that. Um, so there has been a questionnaire going around and there's some data um coming out of of, of the centers reporting cases um to have an an idea of of the prevalence of, of the adenovirus but also the acute hepatitis in general um and we've we've submitted a paper to the Journal of Pediatric Gastroenterology, um, Hepatology and Nutrition um, just summarizing what the current state of affairs is with regards to this adenovirus because there is a lot of press and there is a lot of um, we also kind of noticed a lot of anxiety amongst the the general population about is this something new, is this something dangerous, what do we do Um, and of course um, we shouldn't forget that the unknown of why is this kind of high wave of adenovirus, hepatitis, uh, how has this come about, uh, the the concept of, of children not really being exposed to the typical viruses um, as they were because of the isolation um, around COVID or COVID having playing a role in um in this kind of pathology we are seeing having said that there's not really any good evidence at the moment um because uh, when checked there's only been a 15 percent of the children that had kind of covid but not really in a most often in a kind of an asymptomatic way um but again that there's this kind of concept of why is this happening and and as organizations particularly in espigan i think we are there to to um summarise the the current information available and and kind of making sure that people are kept up to date, but also provide some guidance with regards to um, specialist centres, kind of acknowledging that we do see these patients every year. However, there's now a surge of patients. So is this something different and why is it different?
1: You're saying it's a surge. The surge has been going on for two months, three months now?
0: well i think the way it happened is that um there was in the the first reports were from scotland in the beginning of april where they they kind of um described these these 10 cases of of acute hepatitis now just to kind of um set the background of the the uk and and to be fair i think we are in a UK, unique setting in the uk because because as you know the whole uk the paediatric liver care is centralized in three centers in, in London, Birmingham and Leeds. So that means that patients from all over the UK are always referred for specialist advice to these three centers. Um, and that kind of the new, the, the there's been a really kind of rapid response to this from the, from the national, national organizations to kind of collect data. So what they did is actually they asked all the centers to look back at cases from January onwards. And the data we currently have are the data of um, retrospective and prospective data. So we know from uh, the most recent data from the 19th of May that for example, in the UK, there have been uh, 197 um, cases. Um, And there's some data from from Europe as well, where there's uh, the the latest update is 125 cases. in 14 countries uh, of Europe. So the rapid response to kind of trying to find out what is happening, what they did is they looked retrospectively from January till April and then from April onwards um, prospectively.
1: And there really has been a surge starting in April that uh, I'm (laughs) sure that these... I'm sure these people. Sorry. (laughs) No problem. No problem. We're both eager about this topic. I can tell. Um, Is that they have gone back and compared this with incidences in previous years
0: again that's the issue we don't have a good um idea of prevalence of adenovirus in the general population um i know that there there has been some um data where they looked this is from the european um the european data where they looked back at a period between 2019 and uh, 2020 um 21 um, and that was in in liver transplant centers where they actually over those two years saw so kind of a an average of of three point seven to four point nine cases that came for transplantation, whereas in the last few months they've already seen two point five so th- that there does seem to be something different from. What we've seen before, Um, but most kind of specialized liver centers will say that they have seen adenovirus in the context of acute hepatitis, but again, without knowing how prevalent it's been in the general population, um, with not all these children coming to specialized liver centers again that that's really for me, the opportunity, not only for adenovirus, but to really get a better understanding of this concept of non-A to E hepatitis in children.
1: Is there a particular web link on the Espigan page that sends those who are interested in this topic who have a possible patient with this disorder to a set of recommendations to a, or even a telephone number?
0: That's not currently how um, Espagan is, is really set up with regards to kind of advice. Um, there is um, the, the what, what has been circulated is, as I mentioned, a, a questionnaire which has kind of gone to both Espagan and ERN. With regards to, to advice, my recommendation would be um, that people contact the the liver centers um that they usually work with for for further advice Um, in the uk we have been having um regular meetings um with um a whole group of of different people virologists infectious diseases pediatric gastroenterologists and hepatologists to kind of come to a consensus and that's going to be published um quite soon with some kind of guidance, who, when to refer, what to do, how to investigate, uh, how to manage these patients, um, and what can be done in in a, in a local hospital and what, what needs to be done in, in a, in a specialised centre. So from the UK, there definitely will be some guidance coming out. I'm not sure whether this has been formalised um, in the rest of the EU.
1: I'm glad to hear that Espigan is fulfilling one of its missions, which is to be a, a link and a support for pediatric hepatologists, pediatric gastroenterologists who are outside major or referral medical centers and who are confronted with the same sorts of problems that, well, I guess that all pediatric hepatologists and gastroenterologists are confronted with but don't have the depth of backup that they might if that patient were being seen at a referral center. The recommendations, however, are they going to include recommendations for ancillary studies, for basic science studies, the sort of thing that can be done perhaps in a a tissue specimen, such as a liver biopsy specimen? You know I'm a histopathologist and I I do think there's a role for liver biopsy. Or in explanted livers, say just looking again at the inflammatory cell subsets, or looking at the tissue itself to see if adenovirus or even COVID or something else is present in the tissue.
0: That's a very good point, Alex. Uh, but I, I agree. It, I, I think liver biopsies are, of course, really important and explants, and, and we need to learn. And I, I, my understanding is also that within the liver tissue, um, this was speaking with 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 Maisha, one of our pathologists in our weekly. Um, a multidisciplinary meeting is that there is the question is of lo- where to look for the adenovirus and whether it's not kind of in the typical places where we normally expect it to be um, the other thing i think is really relevant and which we are doing is we sending some of the blood um, from our patients or after taking consent of course to the immunology team um, we collaborate um, with to actually have get a better understanding of what this immune response to the possible virus or to whatever's causing this it is and and whether that there is some information there. So I'm sure that we will get a lot of data and information, particularly from the prospective um, data collection, um, because again, that's been one of the issues. If you go back in time and see at the cases that present from January, there might not have been tested for adenovirus. Uh, There's no blood available that we can send for further testing. the tissue might have store, been stored in, in a different way. So so absolutely, and I think it's a bit early to kind of say, but, but these things definitely should be all, all taken in, into consideration.
1: I hope they will be taken into consideration again as you issue those guidelines. Well, that has been an interesting quarter of an hour, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. I lost track of time just because I was having fun chatting with you and and learning about this uh, new disease but it may be time to start thinking about well about you about your life story about what what was it that prompted you to leave belgium and come to kings
0: well i I did my medical um, school training in in Belgium, and I had the opportunity uh, when I did my pediatric training. um, I'm from the Flemish speaking part of of Belgium, and I was doing my training in Leuven. And and one of the possibilities was to spend a year um, in the French speaking um, university kind of. um, in in Brussels, um, and I got to work um, at UCL in in Brussels, and um, got allocated to work for three months on the liver transplant and hepatology unit there, um, which was an an amazing experience. Um, I was working there with with, with Etienne Socal and Le Mordain and Jean Deville and also Professor um, Jean Bernard Otto. Really imminent eminent group of 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 pediatric hepatologists um, and my time was there was was really fascinating um and then i was given the opportunity to uh, present some of the work that jean deville had been doing at the um alex morwatt meeting which was a, um, oh, a, a oh. kind of a meeting organized at kings to to celebrate the, the the life and the achievements of Alex Moore, who of course um, founded the, the Pediatric Liver Unit at King's. Um, and when I was there and I presented the work we did, um, I actually um, was encouraged by the team in, in, in Brussels to ask whether there was any opportunities to do some of my training at King's. Um, and so I spoke to Georgina mieli Vegani and Anil Darwan, and I was given the opportunity to go and work at King's and um, then had to go back for a short period of time to finish my pediatric training, but was asked to come back um, and work at King's and I've been there uh, ever since.
1: I'm, I'm thinking about the pediatric hepatology group. In, in, in both Wallonie and Flandern, and thinking, you know, they send their best people to kings and what happens? Do they come back and help out? No, they do not, they stay there. <laughs> what was it like trying to make the transition into Britain?
0: Um, it was absolutely fine. Um, uh, we um, we, My husband and I, we came together and we both have been working in in, in london ever since um it's it's a really multicultural uh environment and again that that's what i find fascinating particularly the setup of of our team as you know is very multi uh, kind of international and multicultural but also the patient population we see um and um the, the the population in the area we live is is very multicultural which is so um fascinating and um what would I say challenging
1: Uh, would be one word for it
0: yeah challenging but really also um widens your horizons and makes you think of, of things in a in a different way because you see so many different ethnicities so many different cultures um and and that makes you become much more flexible and kind of open to, to other cultures when, when you meet, when you meet um, patients and, and parents. Um, so I still find that really fascinating um, and, and great, actually.
1: That's wonderful. You have three children. Um, one of them is, I think, already out of the nest and the others are teetering on the edge
0: that's correct
1: <laughs> how have have you been able to keep them trilingual francophone and speaking Dutch and of course speaking English how did you maintain cultural ties with with Flanders? um
0: well t- to be fair um, my husband and I because we are both um Belgian and, and we speak Dutch um they they've always been around kind of the languages and and they've always had a, a kind of um at school kind of find it really easy to to learn other languages which which i understand is something that that has has kind of been observed um with the exposure huh. to different languages um huh. okay. and i think that is so important because um, for my own experience as well kind of working um, in the hepatology committee in espagan is kind of being surrounded by people from all um, different European countries and be able to speak to people in their kind of native language um is is I think a big advantage um and, and a, a really nice um, Kind of skill to have as you know alex yourself um so yeah they're, they're doing really well with their languages they're comfortable going to belgium and and speaking with with the families there um it's been an easy commute to belgium um and i think sometimes it takes us less time to travel to Belgium um, than it takes for people to travel from London to the, to the north of, of the UK. So it, it's been relatively straightforward to kind of commute back and forth and spend time with the family there.
1: Well, as you know, as we approach the end of an individual podcast, we want to, spe- we want to specify that um, began as an organization, brings a lot of different nations, a lot of different cultures together in collaboration, but they remain individuals with their own particular flavor. And part of that flavor is, of course, a song, a song that makes them think of home, a song that gives the listener a little bit of a feeling for what it is to be a Fleming, what it is to be Marian Samin, at home and abroad. Do you have a song for us?
0: So it's difficult for me to choose a, a song because uh, I I love music and I, I sing kind of a lot <laughs> in the shower, of course. Um, <laughs> um, but th- there's two songs in particular that I'm, I, I, I'm thinking about. Um, we... Had a I was part of a of a really lovely liver transplant school now two years ago in Paris which was organised by by Dominique Debray and as one of the activities we did um, a karaoke evening and whereas we were given just a typical list of the typical karaoke songs people started suggesting to um sing um songs from their their countries and, and they're, they're kind of in their own uh, native language um, so we ended up singing kind of the whole group together um, songs in, in a variety of, of, of languages including Polish, Italian, French um, and one of the songs we sang on that evening was um, the song C'est la Vie from um, Khalid um which is a really lovely joyful um song and i think that that kind of would would work really well and and represent kind of how people can get together um have a good time share their experiences um and and enjoy life
1: i know that song and i love it (laughs) fantastic Thank you.
0: If you would like to listen to this song in full length, please check out our As Began playlist.
1: Marianne, this is, i well, it's been a treat for me. It truly has. It's lovely to see you again, and uh, I hope that those who are listening have had as good a time listening as I've had speaking with you.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Alex and, and Selma, for, for inviting me. And as you mentioned at the beginning, Alex, I, I hope we'll have the opportunity to talk about young people with liver disease uh, on another occasion.
1: Wonderful. Until the next time.
0: Thank you. Bye.